So you guys have met Keith and Justin. Let me introduce Carol and Ralph a little bit. Carol is a was a professional school teacher that was instrumental in getting our Bible study next door at Ken Elementary opened up. We've had the opportunity to have a Bible study every Wednesday there, and Carol, your influence was huge in getting that going. So Ralph is somebody that I've known for many years. Ralph was with Westminster Chapel, uh, missions pastor there, and, and he kind of kept me out of trouble for the first few years when I took over here. Then he was a vice president at Union Gospel Mission. We did some partnerships together, and now he's with Olive Crest. So the first question for you guys is, was there a trigger or catalyst that got you started in outreach? Was there a trigger or catalyst? Yeah, I, um, I came to faith and, and into ministry kind of right in the middle of an evangelistic movement on a high school campus. And uh, so I was kind of discipled by in an evangelistic environment to be an, basically to be an evangelist and I can remember from the very beginning uh, having such a deep desire to see people come to faith in Christ but but the problem was I was horrible at it um, I mean I probably talk more people out of heaven than I think into <laughs> hopefully you know thankfully God's got backups but uh, I remember thinking you know why would God plant such a, a, a deep passion within me and then not give me the ability to, to really be good at that. And, uh, but early on, I think, you know, I learned a couple of things. One is that I had some false impressions of, of what an evangelist is. And I think you guys have talked about some of those false impressions, but also realizing that gifts have to be developed. They don't come fully formed, but God was so gracious that early on, he gave me a couple opportunities to kind of be with people as they cross this line of faith. And I remember even at, at the time thinking, this is like having a front row seat to seeing a life transformed. And I think th those were the catalysts for me to say, th these, this is what I get most excited about in my faith is to be a part of that process. And so that was the catalyst for me. Okay. <laughs> I usually don't use a microphone because I'm a teacher and I can just really boom it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyhow, um, I have a, a little butterfly in this bag. I wasn't going to bring it out at this point, but typical teacher, right? Um, I should show it to you. And that is because I always think of my life as a butterfly. I think of the metamorphosis that takes place for it to become a butterfly. In a second, can you hold this for a second? <laughs> so you probably can't see it totally, but it is a beautiful representative representation of a creation that God makes. And honestly, it's been again and again a time for me to look at myself. Sometimes I feel like I'm in the cocoon and I'm going, what am I doing? What's my purpose? And I will then springboard into what I will say to answer this question, which is um, my husband and I were missionaries in Africa from 1978 to 1992. In the late 88, <laughs> 80s, uh, we had a mission conference for missionaries in our mission, Mission Aviation Fellowship. And um, it was in South Africa. 
And the president of our mission board, our mission um, came and he spoke. And at that point I had three children and I wondered what my mission really was. And um, we were supported and my husband was a pilot and he did all that great mission stuff. And um, I was a mom, which I know that that's a mission in and of itself, I get it. But I still felt like there was more of a purpose that was necessary for my life. Well, when Max Myers, the president, spoke, he spoke on a passage of scripture in Colossians. And um, I believe one of you kind of mentioned it in Colossians 1. But it leaped into my heart. And honestly, it has been the catalyst and the trigger for me all these years. And that is, um, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, and you probably all know it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the Old Testament, you all know, we didn't have the, the spirit was not in, in dwelling. It would come upon people. New Testament, we have the Holy Spirit in us. What does that mean? What does that mean to me? What did that mean to me? Well, it was the trigger to make me realize that his indwelling presence in me truly was what I wanted other people to see. And that it wasn't me that needed to be seen anyhow. It was only his presence. That's what everyone's been talking about today. And it just is exciting to be able to share it. I wondered at that point, how did I reflect this in day-to-day -day life? And then I wonder it today, the same thing. Because, you know what, I'm weak, and there's many times I feel broken. I argue with my husband. I argued with him this morning. I'm like, ah, oh, there we go. I'm heading out the door, and I argued with him, right? And I said, you know, I, I know God understands that. He made me a certain way. But I am broken. But at the same time, oh, my goodness, God indwells me. Holy Spirit, come fill me. And then I realized also that it's about his love. His spirit emboldens us, empowers us. But if it doesn't express itself through love, even through my husband, sometimes it gets on my nerves. I'm sure I get on his all the time. But <laughs> um, if I can't walk in obedience to that love, then I'm really missing that catalyst, that trigger to be able to be someone who can reach out. So the verse um, that came to mind this morning is, uh, from 2 John 1, 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. That's awesome. Really, a catalyst is the word. Thank you. That's great. I think one of the things, uh, going back to when I was very young, I decided to follow Jesus when I was six, and I have this really distinct, really clear memory. I'm in kindergarten, and uh, it's like block time, and there's these cardboard blocks that look like bricks, and, uh, 
And after I decided to follow Jesus, I have that on a, on a Saturday. On Monday, I remember being at block time and uh, getting all the kids. Uh, I said, hey, let's stop playing with blocks. I have something to tell you. And I began to share the gospel with them uh, during block time. And then I forced them to pray a sinner's prayer. Um, I was like, you have to do this. Uh, and so I don't remember, I didn't remember all the prayer. Like, I got like bits and pieces of it, you know. And so it was probably a terrible experience of theology uh, as a six-year-old. But here's the thing that I remember. I reflexively and impulsively, after I decided to follow Jesus, my first idea was, as a six-year-old, I've got to tell people about it. And as I got older, uh, the social pressures of not wanting to stand out, I go back to that moment and say, Keith, that's who you really are in Christ. You're the kid who wanted to take block time and stop the prayers and force people to, not, not to force people, but, you know, I had such a heart to do that. And, and I go back to that and I say, that's the real you. That's the you that's been redeemed and needs to come out more and more. You and Ralph would have been a scary combination back in those days. Um, for me, I was not raised in a Christian home. Uh, to this day, I'm the only one still actively following Jesus. Uh, so for me, my coming to faith experience was significant. Uh, I was raised through a church in Federal Way. Oh, excuse me, saved through a church in Federal Way that was birthed out of a lot of the church growth movements, uh, a lot of the Saddleback, and the I, our pastor was an evangelist. Uh, he was actually my older brother's basketball coach. And then him and well, I was college roommates, really good friends with his youngest son. So that relational, the, his, him being who he was, was a significant part to kind of thrust me into where I am. Um, another, and I'll say this, and I think we can all attest to this, there's never one moment that does it. There's like moment after moment after moment after moment. Another significant one for me was in um, later, I had been married a couple years, I had to confess some sin to my wife, and I had to go through a really dark season of the soul of like understanding my own brokenness, and in the middle of that brokenness, I understood grace in a whole new way, because I understood that I had now come face to face with my own undeservedness of the gospel, and yet God's love was being showered upon me. And so when you experience that level of transformation, you can't help but desire to do everything you can to get other people to experience that. Yeah, that is awesome. Grace is a powerful catalyst. Second question, is there anything or anyone that's helped you to develop and grow in outreach? Anything that's helped you to develop once you got started in outreach? Please. Okay, the word art. I know Kevin would love this, A-R-T. Authenticity, be real, reality, and teaching. And I would say that those three things, art, <laughs> are what really impress, continue to impress me and have impressed me throughout my life. When you're authentic or when you meet someone who's real, you get it. You get it. You see Christ's love in that person. They impress you. You grow because of God's love and because you see it. Same thing with be real. Then you yourself, like, get rid of those masks. We all can do that. We can all put on a mask. But get rid of that and learn to be real. Teaching. 
because I'm so old. <laughs> That's the way it is. All the years you start to gather up. You have a lot of teachings that you and teachers and pastors. But recently, Kevin, John, uh, just being in this church recently, meaning the last 20 years. <laughs> That's not really recent, I guess. <laughs> but anyhow, I've been here and I've been under their teaching. Also, teaching meaning being able to teach. So when you get involved in things and they ask you to share, that's a, a form of teaching. So then you teach, God teaches you through teaching others. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for art because you know what? Art is creation. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, which we've already, and, and you know what? Old has passed and new has come. And there's that butterfly again, that metamorphosis. He continues to form in us from glory to glory. He's changing me. Okay, we'll go down the line. Okay. Can you ask the question one more time? Is there anything that's helped you to develop or grow in outreach? Yeah. Uh, practically speaking, it's rubbing shoulders with people that are good at it. Um, I've read a lot of books on it. I've tried to become very knowledgeable around the gospel. I try to know the ins and outs of it. I've read books, done as much as I can. Those are significant, and those give you uh, some, some pieces of the puzzle. But really what puts the puzzle together is when you get, you're standing next to somebody else that's pretty good at it, and you're like, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. Like, oh, they just did it, and then they started talking about football the next second, or they called people to repent, and then no one did anything, but they still did it. So when you start to um, have experiences and opportunities with people that just are, have that way of being, you, you start to pick that up more. And so um, Jeff Vanderstelt was significant in that for me. Um, like I mentioned, my pastor before, um, a little old lady at a church that I used to pastor that called named Ophelia. She was on her deathbed and she was giggling and laughing and telling everybody about Jesus. You just get in those environments and it's like, yeah, even I can do that and and desire to and and move forward in that. Yeah, you start watching people not like hyperventilate and you're like, oh, you don't have to do that. Yeah. Okay, okay, now I, now I understand. Yeah. That makes more sense. But being able to watch someone naturally get in and out of uh, spiritual conversation, I think just having that model, that I was like, oh, this doesn't have to be, okay, now yeah. let's have a conversation, you know? And, and that was really helpful to me to watch that. One of the things that's been really helpful is having kids and having to explain the gospel over and over and over to my kids yeah. and, and realizing, oh, these words don't make any sense to you. Yep. And so being able to describe the gospel in a way where my kids are like, oh, that makes sense. It just is so much more helpful for my neighbor um, that, uh, that as at the same learning level as my, as my kids. Uh, the last thing, as I would say, is just friends that ask me, hey, who are you sharing with? Like, just the accountability factor of that. Like, I can figure it out if someone will help me to have the motivation towards that. So those are three things. I, I mentioned earlier that I had some false uh, misconceptions of, of evangelism and of an evangelist. And, uh, I, th I think it was a little bit like Survivor, you know, you had to outwit, outlast, outplay somebody, basically, kind of evangelism from a position of power. And um, about 20 years ago, um, I stumbled on this thing called the Alpha Course, yeah. it, which was developed out of a post-Christian society in London. And uh, 
uh, it introduced a new idea to me, which is conversational evangelism, which you guys have been talking a lot there. And all of a sudden, I realized I didn't have to outwit, outlast, or outplay. I just had to listen. And the, the thing that was so revolutionary about that was what I learned was that God is already in conversation with people. And so, so what this was is, is joining in with that conversation. So it takes all the pressure off of you, and, and it kind of puts it back on God to say, uh, you're the person that's moving this person along. And um, I just, that not only revolutionized my understanding of evangelism, but it, it, it kind of changed our whole church's understanding as well. And uh, the coolest thing was is that we kind of formed a community uh, around this idea of conversational evangelism. And people came out of the woodwork who had this deep passion that I had, but we just didn't know how to do it. And, and to see what God did with that kind of new understanding and that new movement of the Spirit was, was quite profound. That's great. The Alpha Course is an opportunity to kind of talk a little bit freely and ask questions, and no one is super judgmental in that free environment. Okay, last question. We have a couple minutes left. Um, do you have any advice or no? Is there anything that's helped you to be able to share the gospel in a relaxed and effective way? I'll just say the thing that's helped me the most is this understanding of the person of peace. And, you know, when Jesus sent out uh, his disciples, um, he told them to look for this person of peace. And that was the person that God was already in this conversation with. And when they found that person, they, they were supposed to stick with him. And before then, I thought, you know, God's not having conversations with anybody in my sphere of influence. Uh, but, but afterwards, I said, you know, God is really almost in conversation with everybody. And the one story I want to tell really quick was there was a guy named Clint. So I, I worked at the Union Gospel Mission, and I would regularly take people out on search and rescue in the evenings to go hand out food and supplies to people on the streets. And one night, this guy named Clint shows up. He himself was in recovery, and he wanted to give back. And immediately, there was just this personal connection. I thought, Clint's here for a reason. And so I invited him out to coffee, and I said, Clint, you know, who's your higher power? What's, how are you working your 12 steps? And he says, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And I thought, okay, that's a smokescreen. But I thought, when the next Alpha Course comes around, he's the guy I'm going to invite. When he came around, I invited him. He just immediately said yes. In fact, he told me, he said, I said yes before I even knew what it was. Um, and he came, to, he came to Alpha. And then the next Sunday, I invited him to church. And it was during the worship service, and our pastor was talking about how Jesus was out looking for people. And I, I, just, I just felt God's voice say, tell Clint that I'm looking for him. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that because that's charismatic, and I'm not a charismatic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, but I just could not get away from this, like, you're supposed to tell Clint that I'm looking for him. So finally, at the end of the worship service, I said, Clint, I'm sorry. I, I hope this means something to you, but... I just know that I'm supposed to tell you that God is looking for you. And then Clint just started to weep, and he said, I've been looking for God all my life. And that's, I mean, you just stumble into these people, and before I would, wouldn't have my radar on to say, hey, you know, could this be a person that God's in conversation with? After that, you know, it's like God's in conversations everywhere. Yeah, Keith and Justin, you guys both mentioned it's all rigged. God's got it rigged. I thought that was really consistent with both of you. One of the things, uh, I think just trying to differentiate between obedience and excellence just lowers, my, uh, just lowers my anxiety level. So my 
my participation is to be obedient and to get reps, uh, to be able to do this over and over. Like, I think that has more of a difference than if it's excellent. So if I think, hey, it's got to be perfect and the, the moment has to be right and, and the whole environment needs to be perfect, it's just never going to happen. I'm going to stress about something. If I say, hey, I can say something right here in this moment, that uh, just lowers my, my stress level and it allows me to be way more natural. That's awesome. Yeah, I think um, to piggyback on that, the reality that it's not up to me, that freedom for saying, because when I would do a lot of evangelism trainings and I went through um, earlier on in life, it was very much, you need to say this, you need to make sure you cover this, and you need to cover all these different pieces. And it was, it was unintentional, but it became a pressure that I, it, I personally experienced. And it seemed that everybody else that had gone through it as well, like, oh, this is how you do it. And when you give a, this is how you do it, people don't feel like they can live up to it. Yeah. And so they just, they can't. And so when I, when I uh, leaned into the reality of God's sovereignty in the midst of all this, that God is the one leading people, God's in charge of this, I, I just have to be faithful, and he's the one that brings the fruit. It gave me this, oh, I can do this. Add on to the reality that I've got nothing to lose from a, from a gospel-centered perspective of if, even if this person denies me, the one person that, who I need to affirm me, God the Father already for the, fully affirms me in Christ. So I can live as if I have nothing to lose. I can be denied over and over and over and over again and still be successful because success was faithfulness, following the Spirit, asking him what he's up to and joining him as opposed to needing to make sure I had every box checked and I did it as well as I possibly could. Okay, I'm noticing that you're leaning this against your, thin, your chin so that it stays with you as you move, right? Is that, I just learned that. <laughs> Notice, we didn't tell her that. She didn't read a book on it, but no. she did it because people that have experience holding a microphone do it. And so she caught it. That's evangelism. <laughs> like, so, yeah, that's, so, that's it. So here we go. <laughs> oh, well, I, first of all, I love being the only woman up here. I, I feel like, and I'm very abstract random, if you know what that means. And so when I read, you know, questions, I usually have a different take, right? Yeah. But I love the way it's all, like, coming together and... I just thank you all for what you've meant to me, you two especially, and what I've learned from you. <gasps> Anyhow, okay, back to the question. Abstract random person. Okay, um, all right, well, the question, of course, is is it a relaxed and effective way? Well, I usually don't get real relaxed when I have to share the gospel and it's planned. Um, I get nervous and uh, I can get tense. But what's amazing to me is if I remind myself that, it, again, it's not me. And that it's by faith. That, that faith is um, being sure of what we hope for and certain what we cannot see. And so I take that faith and, and then with Christ in me, the hope of glory, that helps me, settles me to believe through his love that he will demonstrate that. And so, yes, I like to practice sometimes in my head, just like I did for today, <laughs> what I was going to say. Um, 
but I practice it with God's help. And then there's a lot of times I don't practice, and it's just being an expression of him to the people who he brings into my life. Um, I won't give examples of those kinds of things. You gave some great examples, um, but we all have had encounters that way. But of course, the teacher in me, again, <laughs> ruled. <laughs> and I saw a book at my daughter's house that was my grandson's book, and it's an old, old book, The Carrot Seed. I'm sure everyone knows it. But when I read it to my grandchild, and I had just been asked via email to consider being on this panel, and I saw the questions, I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is, this is the faith that's about sharing. So you're not going to probably see the pictures, but I will read this really quickly. A little boy planted a carrot seed. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. A little boy planted a carrot seed. His mother said, I'm afraid it won't come up. His father said, I'm afraid it won't come up. His big brother said it won't come up. Every day, little boy pulled up the weeds around the seeds, sprinkled the ground with water, but nothing came up. And nothing came up. And everyone kept saying it wouldn't come up. But he still pulled up the weeds around it every day and sprinkled the ground with water. And then, one day, a carrot came up, just as the little boy had known it would. What faith. That's what it takes to share the gospel. It takes faith. 